0: Hey, uh, we're going to study the scriptures together today, and I'm looking forward to what Jesus is going to do in us. Um, you know, when I, was a, when I was a senior in college, uh, I was working for a church, and, um, and I was a poor college kid. I was working hard, trying to push my way through college, and um, I-, I wasn't able to pay for all it. of course. It's very expensive, as you know, and so uh, I had to take out a lot of loans. So I had some grants, but I also had a lot of loans, and I was going pretty deep in debt. Well, I'm working at this church during the summer. It's my senior year, and I'm, I'm just kind of outside pulling some weeds, and um, I, get, I get called into the pastor's office. I get called into the pastor's office. When that hap- That's like getting called to the principal's office. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's scary. And I'm thinking, oh, great, what did I do? I messed something up. I'm in trouble. So he calls me, and I walk in. I sit down in his office, and he says, okay, listen, here's what happened. There was a businessman from the church, and he was driving by. As he drove by the church this afternoon, he felt like God spoke to him and said, there is a college student at the church right now that's in some need. And I want you to pull in there, and I want you to help him with his college, his loans. And so, so he did. And so the pastor said, so here's what we're going to do. That guy is given some money. And so if you can graduate now within the next, I don't know, three years or something, which I'm, let's hope that was going to happen, and you get this certain GPA, then when you graduate from college— this guy's going to give you $20,000. $20,000. And I had about $29,000 in school loans, and he pretty much wiped most of that out. In fact, he wiped so much of it out that I actually paid off my school loans before my older brothers. Glory be to Jesus. So that guy, that guy did a couple things. He was obedient to what God spoke to him, and he was generous towards me and it changed my life that guy has a legacy story and to tell you the truth it was a secret for me I don't even know who it was but because of his obedience and his generosity he made a major difference in my life well we started this journey last week an exciting one and where we decided that even in a global pandemic we are not just going to focus on us but instead we're going to decide we're going to see through the lens of eternity and we're going to think about other people we're going to be people who leave a legacy here on the earth And actually, that's the reason that we're here. That's the reason why we exist, to make a difference for eternity. We like to say it like this one chapel does not exist for one chapel. Every single one of us, we are here, designed by God to make a difference. And I think that there's something inside of all of us that we want to do this. Isn't that inside you? You want to do this, like you want to make an impact. You wanna alter the trajectory of your life. You wanna change what your family name is known for. You wanna make a difference, leave a pos- positive legacy in the world for other people. So the way that we're describing this, of course, is a legacy, well, that's, that's what people remember when we're gone. And so here's the thing we gotta realize and remember. Right now, you are actively leaving a legacy. Good or bad, you're actively leaving a legacy right now. So you gotta ask yourself the question, what will my legacy be? How am I really doing? And if you're not thrilled with the answer, hey, change it. You, you can change it. That's what Jesus does. So as we go through this series and over the next uh, month or so, we're going to be doing a couple things. We're going to do the thing that we do pretty much every year and that is we receive a legacy offering. We'll do that on December 13th where we take a massive step forward as a church and we'll talk more about that here towards the end. But we're also just have our eyes open and looking for ways that we can help other people, that we can pay for somebody in the drive through line behind us, that we can go and help a neighbor that's got to move because listen, there's a special place reserved in heaven for people who move their neighbors. Like, they're, just, they're just really incredible people. So, Here's the thing, though. Today, many of us are probably wondering, how? Like, how am I going to do that? I mean, uh, by most accounts, we're still in a global pandemic, and it's been actually really, really tough. Well, again, when we talk about leaving a legacy, we're not just talking about finances, although we, we are also talking about financial giving with this offering. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take just a few moments, and we're going to talk a little bit about money. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. It says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, they've wandered from the faith and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. Well, most of us feel like we're in trouble already. Okay, great. Because we've all wanted to win the lottery at some point. We've all wanted to get rich quick. So at first glance, it seems like, well, money's the problem here, but it's not. What he's talking about here is somebody that has a wrong view of money, like people with a bad perspective on money. He says, these people, they've got bad experiences in their life. Like, this creates temptations for them, not to mention traps for them. So remember, this verse says, it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is not evil. It's our love of money that creates all the problems. So this passage says, some have even wandered away from the faith and they've experienced much grief. So here's the thing, if we don't get our view of money right, if we don't get our perspective of money right, this could actually diminish or, or in some cases totally destroy any positive legacy from your life. And honestly, none of us have to experience any of that. Listen to what Luke 12, 34 says. It says, and you know it, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. So where your stuff goes, that's where your heart's going to go. Or you could say it the other way. Wherever your heart goes, that's where all your stuff goes. And those of you who are dating, you understand this in full. When I was dating my wife, my heart was going to her. And so all of my money was going to her too. Hey, you want to go out to eat? Hey, can I take you to a movie? Hey, you want to go mini golfing? Hey, would you like to go bowling? Hey, can I buy you this bear? Like, hey, you want some flowers? Everything. I I would give her everything. Why? Because my heart was going to her. If you're a collector, it's the same thing. People collect stamps. People collect baseball cards. People collect cars. (laughs) I mean, people collect all kinds of things. And so they want that. Their heart goes towards that. And so their money goes towards that. It's the same thing happens with your kids, you know? You have these kids, these little monsters, and you love them so much, and they totally take everything from you. And you love it. And you love it and think it's great. Jesus is saying here, yo, look, I want your heart to come towards me. I want it to come towards me, not towards stuff. So we gotta purposefully decide, one chapel, purposefully decide, what is money's position in our hearts? Because this is ultimately gonna affect every single area of our lives. So when we start talking about money, obviously we're we're talking about numbers. In our lives, we, we just have to pay attention to the numbers. We all have numbers that we're dealing with. Hopefully you have a budget. That's numbers. You got you to deal with it. You got bills that are coming in. You're opening those up and you're opening up the email and you got to pay those bills. You're looking at numbers. You're dealing in all the numbers. Everywhere we look, we're dealing with numbers. You got to pay attention to the numbers. But if you go and talk to a financial planner about the numbers, they're going to tell you a few things. They're going to say, well, first you got to earn. You have to earn some money. Like, you gotta make some money. And everybody at home said, oh, that's some good preaching right there. You gotta make money. If you don't work, if you don't make some money, then you don't have any numbers. There's nothing for you to try to manage. So you gotta go out, you gotta get a job. And sometimes, yes, that's very hard. But we gotta find ways that we can earn some money. money, And hopefully you earn enough so that you have a little margin in your life. You gotta earn. But then they'll say you also have to spend. (laughs) Pastor, you don't have to tell us about this one. We get it. We understand spending. Well, one Gallup poll showed that it said only 32% of Americans actually keep a budget. It's 32% know where their money's going. Dave Ramsey says 80% of Americans have crushing debt. That means eight out of ten people that you're walking down the street and you see, the idea is they probably have some crushing debt in their life. Many of you know what I'm talking about. You know, you, you got you got too much month left at the end of the money. You know that feeling? <laughs> For some people, that's because there's a little irresponsible in their spending. But for others, man, life just happens. Emergencies came and you're in debt. They'll also say, not just those, but you need to save. You got to save money. (laughs) You're like, yeah, right. Listen, I'm just telling you what the planners will say about the numbers. And honestly, this isn't just an issue of finance. This is actually a biblical issue too. Like Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools they gulp theirs down. So the wise, they store up, but fools, they get rid of all of it. They spend it all. So it's not just financial planners. The Bible says, look, don't spend everything. Don't get rid of it all. One study says that the average American spends 136% of their income. People at home said, this is not good preaching. I know it's tough. But listen, I just want to encourage you, like, try to take some baby steps towards, towards saving up some money. Do what you can. But they'll also say, you don't just need to save, but you need to invest some money. So you gotta make sure that you're not just working for your money, but you, you got your money in some ways working for you, putting away a little bit at a time, and time is your friend, and that thing grows. And then they'll say, well, then, then you need to give. You need to give, and I think, honestly, this is what we all wanna do, but most of us, we don't actually get this far. I mean, on average, the, the average American gives about 3% of their income away. Interestingly enough, st- some studies say that the average American Christian only gives 3.8% away. We may have some work that we could do here. But there you have it, right? There's the numbers. And numbers are good, and numbers are important, and they're helpful, and we got to look at them. And actually, as a church, we should talk a little bit more about this in the future. I want to encourage you to work on all of those numbers that we just talked about. Just start somewhere. But but listen, when it comes to leaving a legacy, numbers are not everything. You are more than a number. So if you're a Jesus follower, your life is not just about what's natural, not just the numbers, not just of this world. Like we're citizens of another better kingdom, part of the kingdom of God. And we actually live and we work in and from that better kingdom. We work in the spiritual realm. You might say the supernatural realm, and the kingdom of God has some principles that that often supersede our natural principles, and His principles, God's principles, they don't always make sense to us in our natural minds. Listen to Haggai, uh, chapter one, verse five. This is what the Lord Almighty says: Give careful thought to your ways. Think about it. You've planted much but harvested little. You eat, you never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but you're not warm you earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. <laughs> this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. He says, you want to think carefully about what you're doing. What am I doing? If you remember last week, we said, what's in the dash? What is my life about? And are there some things in my life that are a little off? Could, could it be that there's a better way to live than the way that I'm living? First Corinthians 1.20 says, where's the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? In other words, God has a way of doing stuff, and and his way it goes beyond the normal ways, the natural ways that you and I do stuff. So today, we want to take a look at the way God does that, and numbers are good. It's just that you and I were more than numbers. So go back to what we said about the financial plan or what they said you need to do. Our, our world, they'll say, well, you just need to earn some more money. That's what you got to do. But, but you're more than a number. So God has something to say about this, his principles. And he says, he shows us where we need to focus our attention. And what God says is, no, don't worry so much about earning. Focus on calling, not compensation. Focus on your calling, not compensation. Look, we all know that deep down, money is not going to be the thing that's going to ultimately make us truly happy. <laughs> you're like, uh, are you sure about that? Because typically it makes me pretty pumped. Well, what's, what's going what's gonna to help you? What's going to really fulfill you? It's not money. It's discovering why you're on the planet. It's discovering what God has created you for. What's your purpose? That thing that God created you to do. What's God's call on your life? You find that out and now you're living in fulfillment. There's nothing like it. Nothing like knowing that you're doing exactly what God called you to do. That right there, that's God's higher principle. Not chasing down the almighty dollar. It's chasing down your purpose in life that God uniquely gave to you. And we would love to help you figure that out here at One Chapel. So contrary to popular popular opinion, the key to life, it's not about how much stuff you can accumulate, uh, but how much can you fulfill what God has called you to do. That's that's where true meaning and fulfillment come from in our life. I would say, that's really living. So we might say it like this. You don't just need money to live on. You need something that you can live for. Not just something to live on. You need something you can live for. When I, when I was a, a little kid, about kindergarten age, I remember I was standing outside. I was waiting to get picked up from a day at school. And, and it was a blustery day and I was standing out there and I had a sense, a little five-year-old self, I had a sense that God spoke to me and said, when you're older, you're gonna work with young people. And that launched me on a, uh, on a life journey where I'm learning about student ministry and youth culture and the scriptures and how those things work together. And I knew that I was created for that. And so I had a long career as a youth pastor and I was fulfilled because I knew that's what I was created for. In 2009, when we were praying about moving to Austin to help launch One Chapel, we had a sense that God spoke to us and said, yes, you need to go. And so we moved in 2010 and we lived fulfilled. Why? Because we were right in the center of it. Same thing happened in 2016 when I felt like God was speaking to me to go and be the campus pastor for Kyle. I stepped into Kyle with fulfillment. Why? Because I knew God called me to do this right now. And even recently, as my role in NextGen and online campus pastor, we're easing our way into that. I know that God is speaking to me about that. So I wake up in the morning feeling fulfilled because I know that I'm doing what God has called me to do. Listen, I'm not an anomaly. You can have that too. Acts 20, 24 says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race, complete the task Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So, man, I just want to run the race. I want to finish the task that Jesus gave me. So people will also say, well, not just earn, but you got you to control your spending. I mean, you got you to gotta do a better job on your spending. God says, yes, that's good, but, but focus on contentment, not consumerism. This is the higher ideal. You're more than a number. I don't have to tell you that we live in a culture that just wants more. I want it all, and I want it right now. In fact, we're not super good at being patient. We want what we want, we live in an instant society. You don't believe me, how do you feel when somebody, when, when somebody, uh, you text somebody, and they don't text you back immediately? You're like, what in the world? What is happening, what is wrong with this person? We want it now. Uh, if we're watching a TikTok video, if it's not fun in like the first two or three seconds, we're like, okay, yeah, on to the next one. I don't care about this. We are the culture that created a tracker for our pizzas online because we can't wait for it to show up at our house. Hey, babe, hey, babe, they're putting the toppings on right now. Not gonna be long. Toppings are getting on. Oh, babe, it's going to the oven. (laughs) I mean, this is who we are. Like We want it right now. We live in a consumer-driven culture. We want more. And actually, a bunch of that consumerism has snuck into the church. And so we've lost the spiritual value of contentment. Here's what Luke 12, 15 says. Don't always be wishing for what you don't have. For real life and real living are not related to how rich we are. Honestly, when you look at the stats, you see that the, the happiest people are the ones that don't have very much. Usually, the more stuff you have, the more worry and the more stress start to creep in from it. Philippians four twelve says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or in want. Okay, good, but, but how? Like, what's the secret? Because I just want a lot more stuff. What's the secret? What am I supposed to know? Well, we have to discover that in every single situation in which we find ourselves, we're blessed. Why? Well, because we realize Jesus is more than enough for me. We got to get to the place where we realize Jesus is more than enough. And when you get to that point, you start to realize, well, contentment, it isn't getting what you want. It's realizing what you already have. And I already have so much. Listen, we're entering into the holiday season and everybody's going to be telling you, you got to spend more, spend more money. You got to get more. I mean, with this season in COVID, we don't just have one Black Friday. We have like three to six Black Fridays. They're happening all the time. So don't do it, resist it. Just say, no, I don't need more. I don't need it. This is the key to contentment, by the way. It's gratitude. God, thank you for what I already have. Gratitude is the answer. You can live content. Then people will say, well, you don't just need to save. Uh, you just, sorry, you just need to save. But God says, well, there's actually more than that. You need to focus on being God-dependent and not being independent. Most of us look into our bank or our savings account as kind of a safety, right? We, we even use words like financial security. So if a rainy day comes, or God forbid, a global pandemic, I know that I'm gonna be secure because I have the savings. And saving is good, it's a biblical principle, but it can't be your source of security. It's not. Ultimately, it cannot save you. Proverbs 18:11 says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall that's too high to scale. So the author's saying, well, They see money like a wall. They see it as their protection. But here's the problem. There's no actual wall. It's a figment of their imagination. And ultimately, it won't keep them secure. Only God can do that. So we just have to decide, I'm going to live a life that's going to trust God alone. I trust God to take care of me. I trust God to take care of my family. I trust God for my needs. I trust him. You know, the most generous people in America, studies show it's people who are poor where the percentage of giving per income is highest among the people who don't have. Why are they the ones that that give the most? Well, it's because they already know their money is not gonna do much for them. They know that that's not their security. And that's why the author in Proverbs wrote, Proverbs 30, verse eight, he said, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only daily bread. Otherwise, I might have too much and disown you. And say, Who's the Lord? By the way, this is also the way that Jesus taught us to pray. Just pray for daily bread. (laughs) Listen, this is incredible wisdom right here. It reminds us that we all have needs, and just for today is my focus. So I remain dependent on God, not myself and not my bank account. So I can start to say, look, I don't trust in riches. I just trust in the one who richly provides. And he does. So then people will say, well, all right, but we need to invest. And yes, That's a good thing. But God says, I want you to focus on stewardship, not so much ownership. Ownership is good, but focus on stewardship, not ownership. And there's a perspective shift here for the people who are Jesus followers. There's a shift in our perspective. Because you're not, with your finances, you're not investing what you have so that you can make it grow for you. You're actually investing what belongs to God. So a steward has God's interest in mind. That's what a steward does. A steward is somebody who manages something that belongs to somebody else. And they're thinking only about the interests of that person. They're focused on their priorities. Some of you here in Austin, you know Saul Balandrano. Saul is our youth pastor uh, down at the Kyle campus, doing a great job. But when he showed up here, he was kind of interviewing for the job. He had to lead worship on Sunday morning. He was sleeping at Zach and Misty Parsley's house and they were watching my daughter's hamster, Teddy. And so Saul is in this room with this hamster cage, Teddy, and Teddy is noisy and up all night and making all kinds of racket. And so he's in the wheel and she's like drinking and eating. And so all night she's running around her cage by Saul's head and he is up all night long knowing he's got to lead worship at church for the first time as a job interview in the morning. I love the story. And he was miserable. And he didn't sleep at all. He showed up, he was just like bags under his eyes and he was like, oh man, I didn't sleep at all. What was Saul doing? Saul was thinking about Reese's priorities. He was stewarding Teddy. Now he wanted to do terrible things and remove and get rid of Teddy, but he didn't. He was focused on Reese's priorities. And so, and by the way, it turned out actually really good for Saul and for all of us here. But listen, this is who we are. And this is the best financial advice that I've ever heard. Here it is, it's for you. God owns everything, I'm just his manager. God owns it all and I'm his manager. And by the way, our church operates on this principle. We give away the first 10% of all of our giving and focus our attention on him. And my life revolves on this principle. Not perfect all the time, but I'm working on it. And your life should too. When you really start to get this, that God owns it all and I'm, I'm just here to manage it, it's gonna radically change your life and the way that you want to give. Here at One Chapel, we believe that we're givers because God is a giver. And that means that we give our time, and we give our energy, and we give our skills, and, as well as our finances. But our financial giving, it, it requires faith in a unique way that the other things don't. So here at One Chapel, what we're asking and praying for is that, that everyone would make a practice of percentage giving. 10% is the biblical standard. And here's the deal. If you want to start to be a little more generous, you should start with consistent giving. That's a great place to start. In fact, tithing is kind of like training wheels for generosity. You just decide, I'm gonna give away this percentage and it trains you to be generous. And if you're not ready for that 10%, that's okay. But you just start somewhere. Start at 1%, 2%, 3%, 5%. Work your way up to 10% and just watch what God will do in your life and bless you. I've seen it over and over and over again in my own life. And if all of us would tithe, here's the truth one chapel, if all of us would tithe, there wouldn't be a need that we couldn't meet. There wouldn't be a building that we couldn't buy. We could accomplish everything that God has called us to do. We'll do it together. Matthew six nineteen says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. I hate those vermin. And where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. Look, Life is short, and you can't take any of this stuff with you. It's not going to go with you. So just decide, I'm going to start sending stuff on ahead of me. I'm going to send it on ahead. I'm going to have my heart focused on eternity. I'm going to send it ahead of me. And then the last thing that people will say is, well, you need to give. And this is the hard part. We, we, We don't typically get here. But financial planners will say, if you get all the other stuff taken care of, if you do a good job with everything else, then maybe just think about giving a little bit. But God says, actually, I want you to focus on being generous and not closed-fisted. I want you to focus on being generous and not closing your fists. Acts 20, 35 says, the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that word blessed in the Greek, it's the word makarios, and it means giddy. (laughs) It means happy. If you've been around church for a long time, you might say, it makes me fired up. (laughs) I'm fired up. You know, The happiest people that I know, it always turns out that they're generous. The happiest people I know, they always turn out to be generous givers. And likewise, typically the meanest people that I know usually ends up that they're a little greedy, that they're a little stingy, that they end up being a little closed-fisted. Paul told Timothy to tell people in the churches in Ephesus and in Crete that they should be generous. Here it is, 1 Timothy 6. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good. Command them, do good, be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. If you remember last week, we said, just start. If you want to be a legacy person, just start today. Like right now, now is the time. Do some good. Help somebody out. Move a neighbor. Be generous to somebody. Like when you go out today and if you have some dinner, leave a fat tip for that server. Pay for somebody else's meal. Like pay for the person behind you in the fast food drive through Now you take a few years off their life when you do that, so it doesn't necessarily balance out. But you know what I'm saying. Do something. Pray for somebody. Reach out. Love somebody. Do some good for somebody and just do it today. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your life. Not close-fisted. And look what happens when you do this. 1 Timothy 6, 19. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Another way that you could say this, I think, is the value of your life, it's not measured by how much you get, but by how much you give away. And I believe that's true. Hey, One Chapel. Hey, those of you who are joining One Chapel family from wherever, let's decide we're gonna take hold of the life that is truly life life. And when you and I live like this, we don't just invest in things that are eternal, but we actually end up living life here on this earth. as so much more than just a number. Hey, over the next month, we're going to be focusing in and we're going to practice this. We're going to receive a legacy offering on December 13th. It is the only, the only special offering that we do. And we do it every year. And we do it so that as a church family, we can take a giant step forward into God's purpose for us. And I know that it's a unique season. It's a unique year. And so we never want to put any pressure on you. We will never push. We're not going to show you sad pictures of puppies. We're not going to show you. We're not going to try to manipulate you in any way. All we ask you every year is just pray and ask God, what should I do? And just do that. No more. That's all we're asking for you to do. And we're going to receive that offering. We're going to push ahead into 2021. Into everything that God has for us, and we're looking forward to that. That'll be December 13th. Just take some time. Just pray about it until then. And then this week, once again, look around. Where can you make a difference in somebody's life? Where can you be generous? Where can you be open handed? Where can you be a person of legacy? Where can you see something that's more than just the numbers and make a difference in somebody's life? Why don't you close your eyes? Let's take a moment and pray together. Heavenly Father, we want so much to live like this, we want to be people of legacy. We want to be people who see more than the numbers in front of us, but we want to live according to your principles. So would you refocus our time and effort and energy and attention on what you desire, on what you're seeking, on what you want us to do and where you want us to go? And as a family, we say yes. We say yes to your future. We say yes to your will. We say yes to your agenda. Would you come and fill us now? Would you come and give us the grace and the strength to do everything that you've called us to do? To to take 2020 and all the difficulty and the pain and the suffering and the, the challenges and not let all the challenges, not let COVID, not let divisiveness, not let all the things that we've been through decide what the legacy of 2020 will be. But Jesus, we say, you decide what the legacy of 2020 will be and decide that through us. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody at home said, amen.